Melanin and me, exploring the black woman's experiences in Britain. Hey lovely ladies, welcome back to Melanin and me. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you how you can stay up to date with our latest content. We release episodes every other Thursday, so make sure to subscribe to Melanin and me on your preferred podcast platform so that you don't miss out on any episodes. You can also follow our inspiring content on social media by searching melanin underscore and underscore me on Instagram or find us on Facebook at Melanin and Me UK. If you felt empowered or motivated from any of our episodes, we love to hear it. So feel free to contact us by emailing melaninandme at yahoo.com or slide on in the DMs on our social accounts. Don't forget to share some love, drop us a review and share with any of your fellow queens who might be uplifted by tuning into Melanin and Me. For now, enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Melanin and Me. Today, we have the co-founders of Safe Space for Black Women, which is Dr. Layla and Fatima. Actually, let me just go back on myself. It's Dr. Layla Hussein OBE. We can't forget. Hey. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for having us both. Yeah, I'm, we're looking forward, looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, us too. I mean, how's your day been? I mean, in the UK at the minute, the weather is absolutely amazing. Where are you guys in the world? We are currently in East Africa. That's what I'm saying. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it's very, very sunny. It's very warm here. Very sunny. No. So we're, we're happy to be here. You got that That's Indian good. Ocean breeze as well. Lovely. Mm. We, we do. We do. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, hear, I hear on your side, there will be a heat wave. You're yeah, in heat wave. we're enjoying the sun. We're like yeah. just trying to relive that, you know, African lifestyle over here. <laughs> and uh, There's no rain so far, touch wood. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. That's that. good. It makes a good change. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. What do you do? I know we've got a lot of information, but we want our listeners to know what is it that you do? How did we get into this conversations today, please? Sure. Okay, so I um, have a communication and marketing background, and I worked for um, NGOs and the United Nations for many years, and then I went into corporate PR, and, um, and, I, and then I also did festivals, arts festivals much later, so I have quite a varied background, um, and Leila and I have worked previously together on some campaigns uh, to do with uh, gender rights and, and women's rights, um, and specifically focused on um, combating violence against women and girls. Yeah. So we'd had that experience together, and then, and also we're very good friends. So we're, <laughs> it's very odd to find a friend that you can work with. I think it's a treasured, yeah. a treasured thing. Yeah. So we definitely <laughs> we found that. that in each other. <laughs> yes. Aww. And then, yeah, and then we were sitting in Layla's living room one day, um, and we were just talking about, you know, what was going on with Black Lives Matter movement and I said to Leila since you're you know running these um, calls for um, frontline activists in Africa on Zoom why don't we do a support group for all the women that are frustrated with what's happening um, in terms of it was around the time that Breonna Taylor was killed yeah. and then George Floyd and Ahmed Aubrey and it was just we were just so angry and frustrated and we had nowhere to go with that frustration yeah. so then that's how Safe Spaces started, really. And that was last June. <laughs> it's a similar journey to what we've been on, really, because me and Ash, we went to uni together. 
but we know oh. yeah so we've sort of like grown in terms of our friendship and then mm. we our podcast started last july actually our one year anniversary oh, wow congratulations oh, wow. <laughs> we know we know we know the hard work it yeah. takes one year. yeah <laughs> The grind yeah. has been real, but it's been worth it. Like every second of it, it's been worth yeah. it. It's yeah. not it's and not I, a job when you're doing it with somebody that you love. And it's like, you know, when it's about something you're passionate about as well. It really absolutely, is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And podcasts are really hard to do because I started a podcast and we did like six episodes and then we did nothing for a few years. So I know how <laughs> difficult it is. So congratulations on keeping up for a year. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So uh, my background, I'm actually a, a psychotherapist. Um, I founded a counseling service for women and girls who have experienced a practice called female genital mutilation. It's the first one in Europe yeah. called the Dali Project. So I have a background in working in mental health, advocating for uh, black women in mental health. Uh, so that's always been my space, working with young people, always marginalized groups. I specialize in sexual violence. So that, that's the area I, I, I work in the most as a therapist. But I'm also uh, like any marginalized person, you are an activist because you're fighting something all the time. Yeah. So I'm here. So I've, 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 I've existed in a, in a space of activism for many, many years. And as Fatima said, actually, that's how me and Fatima met, you know, uh, I guess without repeating what she said, but I think one thing we both had in common, we share some values and principles. And that was, was I think that's very important in, in any partnership. I think that's so key. Definitely. It doesn't matter how we work. But we always come back to that we share same values. I think that's really yeah. important. And yeah, I mean, Spaces for Black Women has been quite, in, it, it was really a space that started by accident. Mm-hmm. It really was. It, I, I remember Fatima saying, like, if I go back a little bit, the anger really was Brianna Taylor did not get similar outrage mm-hmm. that George Floyd received. Yeah specifically from the black community and that's what we're really angry about because mm-hmm. you always when black men get killed black women show up mm-hmm. but when black women are harmed you don't see and black yeah. men are not showing up I think we have to call that out yeah however we couldn't I also know if I went and voiced this on Twitter or Facebook mm-hmm. because of my uh, 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 profile in the UK the media would just pick up on that and it would be a Leila Hussein you know yeah. uh, hating on black men so we really needed a safe space Mm-hmm. to really address the issues, not around race, but around patriarchy mm-hmm. that black women face within their own homes. Yeah. We need a safe space to do that. And really, that was really the concept of how this started. And it was literally, hey, should we do a call for our friends? And yeah. then we, we thought, hey, let's put it on social media. And then we had, <laughs> we had 4,000 requests within wow. Wow. of black women all over the world. And we quickly, I, Fatima, I don't know if you remember this, but we quickly had to learn how to organize and make a structure how did this even how are we doing this and I remember the first course 75 women joined because we we didn't have enough time to manage it so now it's coming up to our our one year and this Saturday is our one year anniversary even today we just before we spoke to you guys we you know we're discussing a lot of our panels that are coming up we have we have a whole day event happening I hope you guys can join. Yeah, um, I'm on it. I've done. So, oh, great. But also, but, but for us, even when, we, when this has been organized, I'm constantly going, how did this happen? It was, so we, for, from one year, we went from just Fatima and I saying, hey, should we do a call for our friends? Mm. To now having three therapists, three co-facilitators, you know, admin team, mm-hmm. uh, having s- different events. I mean, May, the month of May was masturbation month. You know, we had, 
a session on black female pleasure because we want to we want to create the safe space we had a you joined right yeah Yeah. and then we we just recently had one on black women and fertility run by one of our co-facilitators who is an adula for women who experience miscarriages and who have an abortion which is unheard of like Mm. so we really want to ensure we constantly start so we had so we went from just one call for our friends to now this has become it's become a, 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 I guess, a movement. I think that's what yeah. it's shaping up mm. to be. Yeah. And obviously that brings in Fatima's skills. Because, you know, I can run a session and, you know, unpack conversation, difficult conversation. But where Fatima comes in, it's organizing, op- op- running the whole operational of this yeah. space, you know. Because mm. Fatima's got a background in running festivals, mm-hmm. you know, uh, organizing webinars. So in a way, our skills complement each, complement each other. Yeah. yeah complement each other but I think as as co-founders if if any co-founders are listening to this I think it's important to remember there is also one person that leads that work and and with 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 safe spaces Fatima has led that work absolutely Mm. because I have another full-time job that I'm doing so it's been great you know I can just dip in and out where she's running the whole machine because that's really where her skills are Mm. uh, brilliant yeah that's amazing to hear it's a whole empire that we're building right here (laughs) we are we are and also yeah and also the great thing is the women who join us whether as facilitators or the women that attend the sessions also have ownership over the space we had one of the women who was running our um, open mic sessions um one of the facilitators recently led the uh, fertility workshop and then we have one of the other ladies who joined us who's leading our um uh, queer safe space um Mm -hmm. yeah a Mbato, workshop actually yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. She's actually in that. yeah absolutely yeah. so it's very important to us that we're not the only ones who are like the custodians of this space that yeah. other women can yeah. come in with yeah. their expertise and we can build it together because it's for us yeah. you know mm. yeah it's um it sounds as though the rush that you got from all of those women that engaged from early on just goes to show how much that space is needed and how much of a gap in I want to say the market but it's not really the market you know just just the gap in society that there is around having those conversations on you know topics that people might think are taboo or stigmatized that that aren't kind of just open and and you know encouraged for women to have black women to have so I guess um, my question coming to you, Fatima, is why do you feel like it's important to create these safe spaces? And I know you've touched on kind of what was really the catalyst to get the ball rolling. But, you know, kind of what's that what's that one thing that makes you feel actually, you know, I'm really giving back to to my community of black of black women? Okay, there is there are two things. Um, One is always a personal experience that drives us um, because we all operate from personal experiences really in mm-hmm. most of the things that we do so I um, have experienced depression and anxiety and it's something that I battle with and I have also seen it um, in terms of when I was working for um, the UN and you know with NGOs in post-complex environments post-traumatic stress disorder and like you know and and people needing support and not getting that support and I know how important it is when you do get that support I'm someone who very proudly sees a therapist once a week and that's part of my self-care and my mental you know well-being and I saw that you know a lot of there is a stigma attached to not seeing a therapist or not seeking help in a support group setting and this whole you know um, 
strong black woman kind of um, complex that we carry that, you know, from, from very young. Mm -hmm. So that is something that sort of drives me on a personal level, because I know that those are the things that I really want to combat. And, and, and I know that through research or the lack of research rather, that black women don't get access to emotional support as much as mm -hmm. they need it. We're overrepresented in terms of being sanctioned, sectioned in hospitals, we're overrepresented mm -hmm. in terms of having mental illnesses, but yet we don't have the services available to us. And I just wanted to sort of bridge that gap. And every day when I you know, hear from women who either email me or when I attend the sessions, the women are telling me for the first time that they've you know, decided to seek uh, personal therapy. And this was a barrier before that they didn't think was normalized for them. So I think normalizing uh, mental health and seeking emotional well-being is something that I think really drives me to keep going and, and providing this sort of space because I can see the, the impact that it has and the change that it's bringing for women. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's incredible because I, I often find that a lot of the time these spaces are made by personal passions and things and experiences that people have gone through. And I think that's where the authenticity comes through. And I think the fact that you are both being so open to having, bringing in external expertise. So for those subjects or topics that you're like, do you know what, this isn't necessarily my thing, but I know somebody who's, it is, and bringing them into the conversation. That mm -hmm. is so important and so valuable because then you know, it's it's really putting the the people who are joining those sessions at the heart of what you're doing to make sure they get as much rich information as possible. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, that's really, really interesting. And from a personal perspective, I cannot like <laughs> enough thanks. Again, for me, it was a catalyst for me to seek um, therapy as well, one to one therapy. So the group mm. session provides me with a, an amazing sort of like time to come together with these um, other women and when we think about the issues we've all got similar issues and some and some you voice them and if someone else goes oh my god that's where exactly where I'm at and it's like oh my god I'm not an alien <laughs> <laughs> you're not alone you're not yeah, alone yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, not alone. Like, I'm not an alien that just yeah. experiences personally and it's only for me it's like no everybody else is going through something out there and yeah Literally. yeah and that's a great thing about support groups isn't it that you that mm -hmm. it does help you not feel alone um, because oftentimes you know we deal with these issues privately and because of the stigma and like shame attached to them we don't talk about them Definitely. and we think we're the only one and then that makes it worse you know yeah. you, it festers even longer and then you yeah. think oh I'm the only one going through this and I personally experienced that myself you know when I just thought oh I'm the only one going through this <laughs> but it yeah. wasn't the case <laughs> and I think um you're so right it's it's about kind of using the space to your advantage of not kind of being so feeling so isolated and I know that from I think last year not long after we did the podcast Ray and I had a conversation and it's really interesting how the topics we talk about on the podcast it's then like we have a, a conversation as a as friends which we yeah. wouldn't necessarily probably have day to day and um, we got onto therapy and I've I regularly access therapy and similar to you Fatima kind of for my 
uh, well-being. And I know uh, Ray was kind of intrigued and inquisitive and didn't really know what to expect. Mm. So we kind of had that conversation and then she found this group and, you know, I could already see the difference where she was like excited to join and then, you know, coming away from them. So I think it really is a credit to you and the space that you've, you've created, which is, is amazing. So, I'm, I mean, the listeners can't see, but I've literally got the biggest grip <laughs> right now. Like it's so, I, I'm actually just sitting here thinking, my God, Fatima, we need to take this in. Like, I think it's important yeah. that we do step back and take this in because it's so beautiful to hear that because it's not easy to run these spaces it's not funded well mm-hmm. again you know it's one of the issues we face mm-hmm. in black women own I remember someone saying to me you think raising money for marginalized group is one thing but try to raise money for uh, uh spaces for black women and it's yeah. been that's been heartbreaking mm-hmm. so to hear you know with all those obstacles that we face in running this space and then hearing your story and actually what it does, it just pushes us to go and do more, yeah. you know, and, and reminds us that this is actually important. And again, as you're speaking, I'm realizing safe space for black women, for the women, it's become not just a networking space or a therapy space, but it's become an accountability space where they I come in and check in every week. They, they actually hold each other accountable. Hey, last week you said this, did you do it? You said you're going to take care of yourself. Did you put that in place? Mm-hmm. So it's been great. Uh, it's more than just a support group, I find. It's yeah. really where the women are holding each other accountable. Hey, you said you were going to do this for yourself. So thank you for sharing that. That means it really means a lot to us. Uh, it means a lot to it me does. as well. It's funny we, we are talking about this now because I was having a conversation with my younger sister yesterday and she told me this and I was like, whoa, you're growing into such an intelligent young lady. She was like, us as black women, we've got, we speak three languages. We're women, we're black. And also, if you're not from here, you're, it means that you're an ethnic minority, which means you speak yeah. three different languages, but the, the white man only speaks one. But no, for those two other languages, we have no sort of like bridge and bridging mm-hmm. that gap. And I was like, oh my God, let's talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, this definitely for me, it's been a godsend. So thank you so much <laughs> once again. Like, fantastic. <laughs> we know you're a big advocate advocate for raising um, awareness of female empowerment and education on the female body, particularly as your result of experiences with FGM. Um, before we dive into that, and um, we just wanted to find out a little bit more about what FGM means and the mm-hmm. where it originates from and the definition of that, please. Yeah, so female genital mutilation uh, consists of partially or totally removing, removing the female genitalia, which, which means mm-hmm. uh, the small labies are removed, the large labies are removed, the clitoris is totally removed, the remaining skin, it's pulled together, stitched from top to bottom, it's left with a very small opening where sometimes a matchstick can't even get through. And the reason for this, people, it's, it, it varies in different communities. They will say it's religious, they will say it's their culture, it's part of their identity. But fundamentally, the reason this happens is to control the female sexuality, is to control the female body. Where does it happen? It's a global issue. It's, I think people assume it's an African issue. I think it's because Africans have been open about speaking, you know, who have been very vocal about it. Yeah. Uh, but it's across uh, globally, it happens from Asia to Africa, but it happens in Europe, except in Europe, they call it labiaplasty. But this is the thing, when it's done by black people, it's barbaric, it's terrible, 
But when it's done with white women, it's a choice. It's, you know, for beauty. For me, cut, when a woman's been told her body needs to be alterated, for me, there's a, a level of control that's yeah. involved. And I think coming back to your question, why I've been advocating for this is because we cannot talk about these issues without addressing gender and race. Mm-hmm. Because literally just today, I was on a call where we were talking about how do we start implementing programs here in Africa and how we end FGM. Mm-hmm. And one of the white women said, we need to be careful that we don't offend people's culture. Mm-hmm. And I said, would you have said that if that was white girls in the UK? <laughs> no response. You know. mm. So we have, to, we have to constantly challenge this narrative of when it comes to black and brown girls, apparently we have to be, we have to be worried about what their community thinks before we can even give them any support. Mm-hmm. We're white girls, that wouldn't be the case. So the conversation led to, then our program really needs to address on how we treat children equally across all the board. So I advocate uh, around this oppression. of I, I, I talk about, uh, when I talk about FGM, we have to address a patriarchal system that says women's bodies need to be controlled. So yeah. that's really where my work lies, which fits in very well with what we're doing at Safe Space for Black Women. Because yeah. our bodies, historically, has always been under attack. Yeah. And, and literally, just, just before we jumped on this call, we had a call about you know, Black women and, and maternity and how women are treated in that space. But again, we're going back to slavery, where Black mm. women's bodies were never considered humans we, we're not we're still not considered humans we're not considered humans in our own community i think it's important to address that again and again because when i, I experienced fgm it was organ you know it was so for my family organized something that was done for me but fundamentally it was we need to control this body mm-hmm. because it's female mm-hmm. full stop yeah and i think um dr Leda, i listened into one of your previous podcasts where you were discussing this and one of the things that you talked about was was the trauma that women face after this and i think it's something that you know also potentially visually people it, it's invisible right to it's like having an invisible disability mm-hmm. you know so it's it's all of those knock-on effects and that impact that impacts that women day to day and mm-hmm. is is nothing to be underestimated and I think um, I don't know if you've seen I sh- probably not because you're in Kenya but I'm shameless EastEnders fan which is the soap on TV over here right and they've literally just done a piece I on heard. FGM I, I heard was... people tagging me on people tagging me on uh, Twitter and Facebook. So many people are, like, are you involved? I'm like, it's, isn't it amazing how far we've come in the UK? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. 15 years ago, we weren't even allowed to walk in certain spaces. But again, what changed in the UK? Because the narrative around this was changed. Because mm-hmm. few of us frontline activists were saying this is violence, it's child abuse. Stop calling mm-hmm. it culture. It's not culture. Mm-hmm. And again, for me, it's addressing the issue around race. Yeah. If this were white girls, we would never bring the conversation around culture. It would just be violence. Yeah. I mean, we remember what happened in Rotherham, the Rotherham case. Definitely. You know, everybody was outraged because they were white girls yeah. mm-hmm. being abused by Asian men. Mm-hmm. But mean- somehow black girls don't get that same treatment. And I'll use, for example, the R. Kelly case. The R. Kelly case came up when I was a teenager, but no one paid any attention to it. It was the Me Too movement that re-triggered mm-hmm. this. But what no one was addressing it again was black women never believed or they are over-sexualized. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. So, so for me, it's, you cannot have any of these conversations without talking about race. You, you, mm-hmm. It has to be addressed because this idea, black women can, 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 can uh, manage pain. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. we are over sexualized so if we're raped it's really not rape it's just we're just sexy people we're just sexy people you know that's just how we're being uh, conformed so that has to be but we need to create and safe spaces where this is addressed yeah. n n not just with white people but even within our own communities yeah, yeah. yeah. i remember when i um started teacher training and one of the workshops we had was safeguarding and part of that they spoke a little bit literally it was like a tiny little section about fgm well obviously that then has an impact on how we deal with it as teachers. The schools that I've been in, I've been quite lucky in terms of the cases that we know about, they've been really low percentage to, to zero really. But it's re it was really interesting for me to have that insight from the workshop perspective where they explain what it was because I hadn't heard of it prior to that. And, and, and listen, FGM has been ignored because majority of the time again it affects black the black mm. female child yeah that, that's really why it's ignored and i'm forever arguing with people about, i'm like even with this pandemic it's interesting how everybody is up in arms you know covid obviously is a horrible you know virus mm -hmm. but no one shut down any country for malaria when it's killing more than malaria is still killing more people mm -hmm. fgm every 10 seconds a girl's being cut but no one causes a pandemic. Mm. But again, it goes back to it's because of race. Yeah. COVID, we only took it seriously because it's killing white men. Mm. That's why the world's outraged about it. If it was just killing Africans, I promise you there'll be no lockdowns oh, or yeah, shutdowns. I remember that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think the culture card is, is a real poignant, you know, point that you make there. Um, because I think if we ask ourselves continuously with issues, whether that be FGM, radicalization, whatever it might be, actually, what are we, what are we doing to address this holistically mm -hmm. rather than just in certain communities or certain areas? And um, yeah, for me, seeing that piece on TV was, and also knowing that we were coming to interview you, it was like almost like the stars were aligned. It was like, finally, there's, there's some real awareness being made here, which um, it's good, mm -hmm. but we always know that there's more that, that can be done, um, of, of course. But later, just going on to kind of, obviously, you have um, experienced FGM yourself, you know, you're um, a big activist in the community, you're raising awareness, you're doing lots of amazing things to, to really change the narrative of that. I guess, how do you find the energy to do that and all the things you're doing and mm -hmm. the stuff with safe spaces, you know, because, uh, and I think actually um, from one of the, the pieces I heard me say before that, you know, it wasn't, you didn't necessarily call yourself an activist before. And then I think somebody else did. And a journalist called me an activist. I was just asking a lot of questions that nobody yeah. was answering. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes, you're, you're, you've been uh, campaigning against. I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was campaigning. I just, <laughs> just give me a freaking answer. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, how, how do you find the energy to do all, all of these things? You have, you find your team. Mm -hmm. You don't, I, I, I'm not doing this on my own. That I can tell you for sure. I mean, for example, safe spaces, like I said, you know, I come in as a therapist. I really don't do anything else. You know, Batman and I co-found the space together, but she runs the whole machine. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I hope more people recognize any, any co-founder space, there's always one person running the machine. You know, my other, you know, I run another company where I develop emotional well-being tools called Magal. It's run by my colleague, Louise. It's finding your people. That's one thing I've learned. That's how you maintain your energy. Mm -hmm. If it means my profile, I can go and get us more money, get us into doors. Absolutely. That's how I'm going to use. But I couldn't do it all on my own. It, it would be impossible. It would be impossible. You need your team. You know, 
So you're fine, knowing your people and your team, it's how you maintain your energy. And when I say your team, these are people who hold me accountable when I'm not resting. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you haven't taken a day off. Why are you still awake? Why are you sending 3 a.m. Uh, emails? I think you, that's your team. That's how you maintain your energy. Otherwise, and I've had this, I burnt, burnt out many times. I had breakdowns emotional breakdowns because it's exhausting because I mm. I live in a world where I have to repeat the abuse I experienced as a child on a daily basis I was talking about it just a couple of hours ago I'm talking about it now mm. so I need to make sure this evening I'm having a calm evening because yeah. then it's hard to go to sleep because you're reliving mm-hmm. your your trauma oh and this mm. is again the sacrifice black women are making all the time in order for us mm. to be taken seriously we have to keep going back And I, and I think that's something, it's a really important point that you raised there because during the Black Lives Matter movement, I think that a lot of black, um, black people, but also black women specifically were asked to relive the trauma and stories. And there comes a point where you need to focus on self-preservation. And as you say right there, you know, it's having a people. So I have no doubt. I can tell you guys have a great dynamic. I'm sure Fatima has been messaging you when you, you need to have the downtime and checking in and make it. And, you know, yeah. and likewise, you do that for each other because you need to in this. In this. <laughs> we have our free counts. Yeah. So we have our free counts. Yes. We send each other pictures going, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And we also, Ash. <laughs> yeah. And we pick and choose our battles. We pick and choose our battles and yeah, we're very strategic we're not, yeah. nowadays. We don't just get into every single fight or every single, yeah. you know, issue. Yeah. Um, we, 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 yeah, because self-preservation is so important. And I think it's yeah. even more important in the fight against institutional racism, because I think institutional Absolutely. racism wants you to be constantly fighting so that, and then you're yeah. not progressing. You're not doing anything yeah, you, new. You're, just you're fighting. not going forward. Yeah, you're constantly fighting. You're in a state of fighting, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's and that's the state of trauma as well because it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you get that from even, you know, it's proven now that just by all the people that watched George Floyd in those videos and all the other videos that have come out of, you know, police brutality have PTSD from that. And imagine if you experienced it yourself as a child, because many of us have experienced racism as kids, that triggers your own stuff, you know, and then you're continuously living in this, you know, like this stressful kind of um, existence. So you really have to pick and choose what you, when you fight and, you know, what what battles you you take on. A hundred percent. Fatima, I was a little bit more interested in knowing how you run the empire then. So how does your day-to-day days look like running this empire? <laughs> Thank you for calling it empire. I know. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Credit's due. Um, so, of course, like Leila said, teamwork really does make the dream work, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a really good team. So um, last year and, and uh, I had um, my colleague, Danielle, who is actually a white woman mm-hmm. and a great ally. Um, she recently went on maternity leave yeah she recently went on maternity leave and she actually joined us voluntarily because she wanted to make a difference and was also appalled just as we were about what was going on and um so i really do think that um i don't want to put it out there that this space is necessarily run and you know and 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 is only black women that are you know that, that are the force behind this empire as you called it or yes. <laughs> um, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Um, and then uh, recently I uh, hired somebody else who's working with me, um, assisting me with the operations work. And then we have volunteers who come in and help us edit videos and help us with social media stuff. So really it's my day-to-day -day is quite chaotic at times, uh, but we try and create a structure. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so we have the day-to-day -day stuff of like organizing sessions, but then we also are doing more things uh, in terms of doing extra workshops and you know doing all of the marketing and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot and it's a very small team. There's literally <laughs> two of us. Um, I work full time and my other colleague works three days a week. So it's really, it's a very small team. <laughs> well, if there's any queens out there who are prepared to um, volunteer their times, please get at us. We'll put some of the socials on the footnote. So please shout yeah. us out. Yes, guys. please do. If, if you have any expertise or anything that you want to contribute. Yeah, we're always open amazing good i think um just one thing you touched on fatima that i think is just want to emphasize is the allyship i think that you know when creating these spaces or platforms often we think it has to be everybody that looks like us is from our community and that simply isn't true so i think it's really um a really important point that you raised that you've got some people driving this who aren't necessarily black women but completely understand and get and want to drive and be part of that force to help develop that um you know I think Absolutely. that it's it's just yeah it, it's really key yeah. and if you are you know kind of listening and you know from your perspective you're thinking I want to help and I know that there's a need and I want to do something you know don't be afraid to reach out don't be afraid to contact those um, black organizations or um, black run businesses or whatever you know and and share the love and and you know get involved I think is it's a really important thing to message to spread absolutely absolutely and I remember when we first started um, Leila, do you remember we did the sort of list of things, um, useful tips, um, and one of them was um, if you're a white ally, what can you do? Because a lot of people yeah. were sort of like, yeah. they didn't know what to do. Scared, yeah. So yeah, there were bullet points of things that our white allies could do, and we shared that. And, and I, think it's, I think it's important not to shut out people who aren't necessarily black, but who also um, are very much aligned in this fight against um, racism. It's creating, for us, it's important to create a safe space for us to have a very uncomfortable conversation because we will yes. have uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. We can't shut people out because how, then how do you learn mm -hmm. if you don't create that safe space? Mm -hmm. uh, so for us, that's quite key. Yeah, I yeah. think one of the things that we'd said whenever we started this podcast is that we needed to get comfortable having the uncomfortable conversations, which is mm -hmm. exactly what we're doing now. So, yeah, that's mm -hmm. really, really important. And, and that's the area where growth exists, the yeah, uncomfortable absolutely. conversations. Yeah, absolutely. we've actually um, at work, we've started to call them courageous conversations as well. So that's oh, like, I like, that. I like that. that on it. So we should, for, we should uh, take that Fatima courage. I'm writing it down. <laughs> can I steal that? Can you I can steal take that, it. Guys? You can have it. You can have it for <laughs> yeah, free. It's fine. Thank like you. Because yeah, like for us, you know, um, when we're talking about EDI and um, equality, diversity and inclusion, we got you know I just posted out and had you know hosted a little coffee and courageous conversation morning for the on the anniversary of George Floyd's murder um just to talk about all this you know the stuff that's been happening around anti-racism and likewise we'll be doing the same for pride day and I think 
you know, it just, when you start to open it up, those people who maybe do feel a little bit more nervous, anxious about terminology and the words they use, if they can do that in a space where it's open, that that's almost like a trickle effect, you know, they can then go back to their friends, family, um, away from the workplace and actually start to, to build their confidence. So uh, yeah, co- courageous conversations. It's um, the more that we can facilitate those, the better. So um, a great term. That is a great term. Then. So you've got two ideas, empire and courageous conversations. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much. It's, it's, it's always great when you come to a conversation and you walk away with a few lessons. That's always a great yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This yeah. is a great podcast, everybody. Tune in. You're going to learn a lot of things as we are. <laughs> the running an empire. You even know. Uh, exactly. Exactly. God bless you. Um, Dr. Um, Leila, we wanted to know what life as a psychotherapist, social entrepreneur, director of St. Andrews University and a BAFTA nominee all entail and which one of those hats is your favorite so it's uh, university of, of, of uh st andrews actually I'm, I'm the i'm the rector not the director so i should like to clarify that oh, in case so they think i'm taking their job <laughs> i'm the first i'm the first black woman to hold that position in 600 wow. years wow and yep, the yep. third woman ever right the third woman third ever. woman yep ever yeah what the role is again so this is a rector. So the rector is the highest position in the world of academia. And the St. Andrews one is supposed to be like the most prestigious position. Wow. So I literally fall under the principal um, and I chair the whole board of St. Andrews now. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But, and and, and uh, that's been a very interesting role. Thank you for asking me about that because this all transpired during the Black Lives Matter. The students contacted me as this is going on during August um, and July. Because I've been to St. Andrews many times. I, I spoke at St. Andrews before and the students got together around that time and, and, and the last rector's term was coming to an end and really sat down and thought about who should be, who should be, and you have to campaign. It's not something you've just given. There's a campaigning involved and the students have to vote. Wow, okay. And um, yeah, and I was going against two other people. Um, actually, when I first co- was contacted, I was, my plan was to say no straight away to the students. But when I met the students, and majority of the students are white students, this is again why everybody needs to be part of this conversation. You know, uh, uh, to have a s- university that is so white in, in every way, shape or form I can think of, mm-hmm. voted in a black woman, Mm-hmm. Not just any black woman, a woman who, a black woman who's very proud African, proud feminist, mm-hmm. you know, who doesn't apologize who she is, mm-hmm. was very important, which gave me hope. It means something's changing. The next generation is really giving me hope. Yeah. And, but I wasn't just the only black, I was told recently, I'm the rector that got most votes in any rector that's ever been, who's ever run. Wow. So I got 40% of the votes of the whole university which is a big deal to, so I feel, I feel really uh, honored to be in that position, but what makes it great is the students voted me, not the university. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to answer yeah. to the university. It's been great to be in that position because unfortunately uh, it's still, it's still uh, an institution that's very much embedded in racist views. And I've been very clear and open about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like changing systems. 
um and and I and I get to be in that position but my your question was what's your favorite what's your favorite hat my favorite hat is the psychotherapist hat because deep down that's who I am yeah um I love creating safe spaces and I guess I use that hat in every role I'm in mm-hmm. uh, for me mental health it's extremely critical mm-hmm. especially in the times that we live in if we don't have our mental well-being I don't think we have anything like I think that's the biggest asset uh, 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 resource you can have because when you're mentally well everything else makes sense definitely. so yeah yeah my, my favorite role is definitely the psychotherapist yeah wow amazing how was how did the BAFTA nominee come about yeah it's not interesting so it was because I presented a documentary for channel four so I was nominated as a presenter <laughs> never presented a documentary <laughs> presented documentary and by the way it was a brilliant Domino. documentary like it's you should have won the BAFTA as oh, far as I'm concerned it should have won the BAFTA <laughs> <laughs> what is it called so we can give it a watch it's called well. yeah so it's called The Crow Cut. It's a documentary based on FGM in the UK. It was actually the documentary that led in getting the petition. We got over 100,000 signatures wow. where our petition was debated in parliament and an inquiry was launched against the UK government. Hence why the UK, there was a big change. That documentary was the reason why. It's called The Crow Cut on Channel 4. It's still very much watched. It's still on Channel 4, isn't it? On, uh, no, is it? Catch no, they removed it. They removed uh, it from, but it's online now. But it, but but I I usually get feedback from the production company who tells me that like, they still get high level of, you know, demands from all over the world, wow. you know, demanding for screening. So that's where the BAFTA nomination. We have it was a great party. That's wow. all I'm saying. <laughs> well, we'll we'll definitely um, be putting that in the footnotes so people can go and, and check for the link. Um, yep. incredible, incredible, uh, particularly the the voting, and I think like you say. There's there's kind of one thing to be voted in by the organization, but by the people mm. that the, the yeah. university Young is people. Serving. Yeah, it's it's, it's the next it's, generation. Yeah, volumes. Well, um, Leila, can I just say I absolutely love you. <laughs> I, think <Aww>. <laughs> I think you're really really incredible. So I'm really inspired right now. I'm feeling it. <laughs> so before Ray starts crying, um, gonna go um, Fatima. Just want to go back to the safe spaces. So when you're having these com- uh, courageous conversations, um, what would you say is the most kind of common challenge that you're coming cr- across when you're having those uh, conversations? Um, I think there are definitely common challenges. Um, there, there are people who are experiencing um, racism at work. Um, and that usually does not look like overt racism. Um, what is it called? Um, microaggressions. Sorry, my, my, microaggressions. Yes, my mind went blank there for a minute. Yeah, so microaggressions, which most of us have experienced and we know what it is. And, and, and that actually adds a lot of stress onto your, you know, your, your work life. And a lot of the time you can't prove it, but yet you know it exists. So we're seeing a lot of women that come in and talk about those issues that they're having at work or real serious issues with racism that they don't know how to deal with. And then they get support from the other women and like they're able to sort of continuously come back and talk about it. And some of them have actually managed to um, file, um, you know, like um, trying to sue certain uh, companies or organizations and trying to really actively do something about that. 
Um, there are also, of course, issues that we all deal with, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, a lot of us deal with, and also um, issues with like, you know, the, the, the mother and daughter relationship and the relationship with men and, you know, re your relationship with your father or the lack of a father. Um, and yes, yeah, so we do get a lot of reoccurring. And it's usually, I think a lot of things come from the things that we were taught as children. And then as adults, we're having to sort of deconstruct and uncondition ourselves because there are a lot of these conditionings that we all carry. And it's yep. sort of a lifelong kind of adult adulthood that we're, we're spending trying to deconstruct and uncondition ourselves from, from those issues. And then there are relationships issues. So the Tuesday session focuses on sex, self and relationships. And the relationships aren't just about the relationships you have with other people, the relationships you have with yourself first, because you have to first love yourself you first have to know yourself you have to accept yourself right before you can have a, a healthy relationship with others yeah. um and yeah so it, it we do get a lot of different varied you know i mean it's human beings right we we're very similar in terms of the experiences that we have um so so that that has been and and for us as well as facilitators we also can relate a lot to, you know, what the women are experiencing. So we also get a lot out from that, you know, being in a space where we feel understood and, you know, we're all experiencing similar issues and trying to work through it and supporting each other through working through those things. Um, and it's always lovely to see when, um, especially the women that have been attending regularly for a year, the progress that they've made, you know, and they share those progresses and those, and we celebrate those triumphs, you know, whether that would be with the, uh, the triumphs that facilitators have managed to make or the, the the attendees and um yeah so it's it's a really nice i would call safe space as a community we've built yeah, a community is. which is really, really lovely it really is yeah it really yeah. is i couldn't agree more it really is a community i guess it's a it's a concept i use in my current work as it's, it's a love village we have to create it for ourselves ah oh, like that a love yeah, village. yeah, absolutely. yeah it's a love village absolutely. we keep we, we have to create it for ourselves Yep. yeah yeah and also i think because of covid and lockdown there's been isolation as well and loneliness mm -hmm. that's another topic that has come up quite a bit and and some of these women live in you know places where that we're the only black women or the only black people that they see on a weekly basis yeah. um yeah. so being very isolated and also um you know and, and and also like you know as we've seen with with covid um and the lockdowns it's affected people from the queer community a lot more sometimes because they're also isolated and, and sometimes in homes where, you know, um, they're not accepted and, and they haven't come out to their families. And then having to be in that kind of environment is also something that, um, that, that a lot of people are dealing with. So, so yeah, we, we hope that we've, and, and, and the women do give us feedback. We've, we've created a space that's accepting and a lot of people live with families and, and, and people who don't accept them. So the space is somewhere where they can come as like a safe haven and feel accepted and on whatever yeah. level they're at and bring themselves however they feel that particular Absolutely. day or that evening. For sure. I've, I've had that experience as well. So that's, that's so, so true. Having gone through that you definitely bring your whole self of all your packages and we just unpack, which is lovely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What advice would you give your 15-year-old selves? Oh, oh my God. I would tell my 15-year-old self, 
life like, don't take life too seriously just enjoy it there's more shit to come it's like girl you haven't seen nothing yet yeah. enjoy that you're not paying rent your parents are paying for the rent <laughs> just enjoy I wish I had more fun at 15 mm. I wish I was a bit a bit of a rebel at 15 oh. like um I missed out on that I was I was because when you experience early trauma you grow up very quickly so I was an adult by the time I was 15 I just wish I was a bit of a uh, you know, I didn't give my homework on time or I was really a good kid. I was like the good kid, good African <laughs> child. I just wish I, I just said, don't take life too seriously. It's going to be okay. This is part of the process, Layla. Yes. That's what I said to her. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I would have said, I would have said, focus on you and put yourself first. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think at 15 and until very recently, um, I was always in codependent relationships um, with people and always putting people first and never really prioritizing myself. So I think that's what I would have said to my 15 year old self, like learn to say no and prioritize yourself because you're the most important person. Love that. Love that. So that's your advice that you'd give yourselves. So the last question we have is for our listeners regarding their personal development, what one piece of advice would you give them in kind of navigating their way through life? So obviously our listeners are of all ages um, and yeah, looking for kind of that personal development. Oh, self-care, very important. Self-care is part of your life. It's basically drinking water is self-care. Mm-hmm. Like that has to be at the forefront of everything. And I just, I wish self-care was part of our school curriculum. That should be taught on a daily basis from a very young age. Hey, going to sleep, drinking water, making sure you're mentally well. That is mm-hmm. your self-care should be embedded. I see my, I have an 18 year old because I've been teaching about self-care since she was quite young. I'm actually envious when I see her self-care time. <laughs> wow, I, I still can't do it. because She literally just shuts down. I'm yeah. in my self-care mode. This has been so normalized. I think mm-hmm. self-care is key, especially COVID has really reminded us yes. how important that is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And also there's something else attached to self-care, which is boundaries with yes, yourself absolutely. and also with others. others so I yeah. think it is actually self-care that you have boundaries yeah. with people absolutely. and yourself and you know how much you can do and how much you can't do. And I think that's really, really important. And that's something that I'm learning now in my thirties, yeah. you know, to, to, to have boundaries and how I wish that I was taught that, you know, at school yeah, or what, at home that's what, as well yeah. as self-care. Yeah. I think yeah. it's super important. Yeah, I think I 100% agree, Fatima. I think there's something you said that definitely resonated with me about that learning to say no. And I think, um, you know, often if we're people pleasers, it's really easy to just, you know, not set boundaries. And I remember um, Ray always laughs at me because I always love a quote, but one that stuck with me was um, givers need to set boundaries because takers don't. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for me, I was like, yes, yes, yeah, that is so true. Yeah, um, so true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ladies we are so grateful to have you on today you've we've dived into safe spaces we've dived into your personal experiences um, a bit of everything and we don't underestimate um, you know kind of how how um, you know it is for you coming and talking about some of the topics we have today and we just really appreciate the time and for for having the listeners kind of learn from you both um, and sharing your experiences and everything that your wonderful stuff that you're doing with safe spaces so thank you for that we will put everything in the footnotes so people can share is there any places you want to direct people to specifically who are listening in to find out about safe spaces 
I think our website has most of our information. So safespacesforblackwomen.com. And then also our Instagram page has quite a lot of information on there. Um, and we have a private Facebook group, but that's only for women who've registered and only for black women or anyone that identifies as black and as a woman. Um, but also you can register, there's a registration uh, form on our website. So most, most like 95% of everything is on our website. So you can pretty much, but you can also write us an email if there's something that you need specifically. Um, you can write to us on safe spaces for, as in the number four, blackwomen at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank well, you for this opportunity. It was great. Thank you guys. Love uh, it so was much. a really nice journey <laughs> that we went on together. <laughs> Give us a chance to reflect on what we've been doing. We didn't have a chance yeah. to speak about it in this space. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank oh. you. Thanks, ladies. So that's a wrap on today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and that you gained something positive from listening in. Whether that be you gained a new perspective, got some tips and tricks to motivate and inspire you, or it's just made you smile. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes and so we can bring you more of the content that you love. Until next time, stay blessed, wear that crown with pride, and keep shining. Mm -hmm.